Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations about art and culture, you might want to check out the newest releases from David's Werner Books, where we've published award-winning titles on Diane Arbus, Yayoi Kusama, and Carrie James Marshall, in addition to Ekphrasis, the critically acclaimed series of texts on art. This season, look out for books from the likes of Catherine Bernhardt, Noah Davis, and Marcel Zama, as well as new additions to the beloved Ekphrasis series. Visit davidswernerbooks.com to learn more. From David Zwerner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about creativity and ideas. I think as soon as you start making mistakes on purpose, then you're in trouble. So far, I haven't done it. If there's a flick or correction, it's because I haven't liked what's underneath. I'm Lucas Zwerner, editorial director of David Zwerner Books. In every episode on the podcast, we'll introduce you to a surprising pairing. We're taking the artists we work with at the gallery and putting them in conversation with some of the world's most extraordinary makers and thinkers. Today's pairing, the painter Rose Wiley and the actor Russell Tovey. Rose's studio is just outside of London, and the floors there are lined with newspapers that have accumulated over the years. She takes inspiration from the images she finds there, from the films she sees, from literature, mythology, and her own childhood. Rose has been a witness to the 20th century. She lived through the Blitz in England during World War II, and she paints those memories. But she's just as comfortable engaging with the world as it is now, from Tarantino movies to selfie culture. She graduated art school in the 50s, then took time off to raise a family. Now Rose is in her 80s, and she's been the subject of much-deserved critical attention, with a serpentine show under her belt, an exhibition at David's Werner in London, and a survey of her work on view all summer at the Contemporary Art Museum in Malaga, Spain. One of Rose's biggest fans is Russell Tovey. The 36-year-old actor is born and bred in London, and he's as serious about his art collecting as he is about his acting. In Russell's breakout role a decade ago, he performed in the stage and film versions of acclaimed play The History Boys. Other credits include the BBC series Being Human and Sherlock and the HBO series Looking. Russell and Rose had met once before at an opening, but they've never had an extended conversation until now. Rose, it's so great to have you here in the studio. Hello. Thank you for being here. And Russell? It's a total pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So I thought one place one could begin is just where you, Russell, sort of encountered Rose's work for the first time, if you have a memory of seeing her work. Yes, well, I've seen your work for many, many years. I saw Close it at a transition gallery. You had oh, work see. there that you showed a lot, and I used to be used to be there a lot seeing stuff. And then when Clary Wallace did your room at the Tate Britain, uh-huh. I saw that and thought it was phenomenal. And I said to you earlier oh. on when I met you that I saw you in the group show that Kate McGarry did, the group show yeah. was with Catherine Bernhardt, and it was a huge work, and we met there, and you had your studio shoes on. I love your studio shoes. Yes, I was very fond of them. The thing was, they were good. Sh- they made your sh- legs a good shape. They, I didn't paint on them. Oh, they, right, okay. They were my best shoes. What, what exactly are the studio shoes? What's the, what's the brand? They had hot written on them. They, they were given hot. to me. They were like a big white pump with a star they on them. They were big. Mm-hmm. I used them well, for about I, I, 10 years. I loved them. I thought they were iconic, completely. And then, yes, and I've followed you since with the Serpentine Show and recently your show at Werner at Grafton Street and... I'm a big fan. I have a little work by yours at home I live with. What have you got? It's called Know Yourself in Latin. And it's a little drawing. Have you? Yes. Really? Yes. Do you, can you tell me about him, what it's about? Black. From time to time, I look at 
I don't know. I look at the computer. I look at a lot of images on the computer. I'm never quite sure whether where I find them because I flick, and I don't know how to get back to where I've been because I'm not expert. So I think I was looking up ships, sailing ships, on perhaps ancient tiles or something, and I came across a whole lot of Roman uh, imagery on tiles and on etc. And here was this marvelous man with know yourself in Latin. No, I think well, I can't. You can't. I must right. have chosen that. Because it says it Greek, question mark, been... Roman, question mark. <laughs> yes, but I have big gaps, ignorant holes. Oh, I never know whether something's Greek or Roman, and I know I'm supposed to know, and I do know in a way, but I... It's an apology, as, is it? As or, soon as you yeah. write it down, you're yeah. trapped. So if yeah. you put down options and question marks and yes. alternatives... it's more ambiguous. Well, I love that about it. I didn't know you'd got that. Yeah, so yeah, so this is a total pleasure to be sat here now. Uh, Russell, how did you get involved in contemporary art? I guess growing up, I loved imagery. I was obsessed with Liechtenstein, and I loved advertising art. Good boys, yeah. Mel Ramos, I loved for some reason growing up. All these, all these women hanging off bananas and out of martini glasses. And I'm gay now, so I'm, I'm, I'm just a feminist through and through. (laughs) I always loved it, and I suppose I sort of was always visiting museums, but it never felt like I could ever be a collector. And then I started discovering editions. I started buying editions. And then for my 21st, my parents bought me a Tracy Emin edition. And then I did a movie about four years later called The History Boys. And with my check from The History Boys, I bought a Tracy Emin monoprint. And that was the first time I ever felt like I'd actually buy something original and I could have that. And what I, did you I'm, buy, a Little Bird? What, what no, was the it was, model, it was, was called the No Idea Why They Can Jump So High. And it's like a, a self-portrait of her beckoning little penises over a wire. And they're little leaping penises and balls. And that's what I've, I've yeah. got. So I still got that. So that's like my first purchase. So that was my way in. And then after that, I really, all of my money goes into buying art. And it's wow. my absolute second passion aside from acting. It's something that I, wherever I go and work in the world, I find the nearest museum. I find the nearest venue where or gallery where there's great shows. It's a funny pairing because it's a, someone who's explicitly in film, who's very, very interested in art, Russell. And someone, Rose, who's very much in art is painting, but of course has this deep history in film. What is that background in film? I mean, you've talked about the different films that have inspired you, but how does it come into your work? The imagery is fantastic, I think. And I'm a sucker for close-ups and cropping and, you know, jumping around. And it's it's totally flexible as far as I can see. It's a knockout 21st century art form. And I think it's close to painting in that way. And photography, they all link together. Would you see a still of a movie scene online or in like a in physical form and then copy that? Or would you see a movie then then kind of like yeah. visually remember scenes and then go back and paint I them? I don't I've never copied a still. I could try it next. <laughs> next sort of thing to do is a possibility. I love film posters too. I like yes. vulgarity. It's a kind of immediate vulgarity of high street quality that comes into film posters that you don't well you used not to find in art proper. But what I do is to watch the film and then think, that's you know, that's it, that's just that image, it's great. But then when you come to do it, you can't quite remember how it yes. went. This is, it fades as you do it. It's not necessarily a huge connection right. from the painting to the film mm-hmm. when you've finished it. There could be a bit, but then I don't go back and check. There are three paintings up right now at Zwerner in London based on natural-born killers. Tell me about those, Rose. How did you pick those moments? I went back on a set of drawings and found four natural-born killer drawings. I did the drawings close to the time of the film and then forgot about the drawings. And then 
I was looking for images and I found for drawings and I just picked them, but they came from a hugely good memory of the film. Where does your mind go when you paint, Rose? Well, it's certainly not on the road outside because I don't hear anything. I don't hear the traffic. I never play music because I wouldn't hear it. So it is like a trance-like state. I suppose it is. It's yeah. cut off. It's cut out, yeah. isn't it? It's it's cut out. And you're not thinking about, you know, what's happening to the house or what's happening, you know, when your tooth hurts or anything. When you can lose yourself in that kind of cloud, there's nothing better, is there? No. You do something and you think, that's okay. But there comes a point when you suddenly think, that's it, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and that's exhilaration, but that's not trance quite. That's I don't know quite how that fits into, but it's it's connected to to yeah. being uh, removed from normal normal activity and stuff. Yeah. If I start sometimes, it goes on, it finishes, it's perfectly okay. It's, but you look at a photograph of it at an earlier stage, and you think it was better then. Or yeah. uh, why didn't I leave it? It's, why didn't I leave it like that? So the thing to yes, but then that becomes organic because you can then try to get back to that early stage. But then you've got two two paintings which are related. And then you might go on and then again you wish you'd left it like that. And that's why you get sets and series. So for you a series actually comes out of in a way wanting to return to an earlier state. Yes, and particularly with with photography and with the computer and the photography. It's very quick. You can look at it and think, why did I change it? One of the nice things about having an actor and a painter together is the question of the character, of how one selects. Because, of course, the same question one could ask, how does one pick moments to paint? Sort of what speaks to you when you're engaging with a script or when you're thinking about a character? I mean, is there sort of something that immediately hits you when yeah, you're looking for dialogue. something? Yeah, yeah. Dialogue is number one thing, and I can normally is tell... Is before you pick the script at yeah. all in the first place? Yeah, yeah. So within the first two or three pages, if you get the whole script, I normally know what the character is or if I or if I want to play him. I can sort of tell. And you can tell that with writing, because good writing is just magic. It, it gets your bubbles and the blood fizzing. That's what it feels like. And then afterwards, if it's really cool people, that helps. You know, if you're given that and you know you're going to be working with a lot of instinctive actors and you're going to have the opportunity to improvise, then that's incredibly exciting mm. because you know that that's... Well, that's like a painting. Yeah. You're improvising on a canvas or paper. That's something you're doing that wasn't there before you so, did it. Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't. There. With a script, it was there. To a degree, it's there before you start. Exactly. I mean, interpretation isn't there, but the script yeah. is there. But in a painting, nothing is there. I find writing is like improvisation on paper and it's like your inner monologue coming out and you can let yourself go and then you have to go back and edit which I know you edit your work because and you like to see mistakes and the way you build up pieces with paper and collage is that you don't want to waste anything. It's like you don't want to waste any paper, but you like people to see how you've changed and how you've altered it. It's it's process, it's the mistakes are in fact helpful. But I think as soon as you start making mistakes on purpose, then you're in trouble because I don't know, I'm I'm intrigued by affectation, mannerism, and so far I haven't done it. If there's a flick or correction it's because i haven't liked what's underneath but that's so unique to your work which is why i don't use cadmium paint because it's you know it's hugely hugely expensive and i don't like i'd love to be able to scrape it all off and throw it away without the slightest bother the question of the mistake is have you had that where you are either on stage or making a film where actually a mistake leads to the perfect take yeah the wrong is right that comes from being instinctive and if you're instinctive then you don't really make too many mistakes you know in the ballpark where you're meant to pitch it, but sometimes you can go off piece. Mm. And, you know, that's the director's job as well, to hone you and to put you in the path if you're instinctive. If you're technical, it's probably easier, I would say, if you're a technical actor, to make a mistake. 
I think if you're instinctive and you're always in it and you can feel it, like when you're painting, I guess you go into a zone, then you never make a mistake because it's your zone and you're giving your piece. I'm not sure about I'm not that. Not sure? <laughs> no, I think you can make a mistake and be crap at any point. Well, I think mistakes, from my point of view, I make them all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, You're proud of them, though. And I, well, I don't know. I, I cover them up, I think. Well, no, no, it's, it's a way of going on. It's a trigger. It's an impetus for movement. It's like editing a script. Huh. You, you know, to, to perform the same thing every day, there's sort of a combination of needing to keep it as interesting as possible and also as consistent, potentially, as possible. Right. And how do you do that? Well, it becomes something like on one show you might move a cup two inches to the left and then pick it up and drink on that line. And then the next night you might not touch the cup until you've said the line and then you'll drink. And suddenly that tiny little ripple of change can alter your performance or alter your energy in that moment and give you life. It becomes the minutiae in your performance, which is something that inspires the big thing. Because similar question for, for you to go into the studio every day now for... So I think you've got to take a lot from your subject. The way you paint is more important. Then that can be a problem because the way your painting starts to be the same, it starts to repeat, and you start doing the same thing, and I think you start getting bored. If the artist is bored, does that show in the painting, do you think? Because I, I find that an interesting question. I haven't picked up on that, you and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to say you were bored when you painted that one, Rose. No. Which are your bored paintings? Yeah, come on. <laughs> yawn, yawn. This one's boring, this Half one's asleep. <laughs> You need the paintings that aren't as good as the knockout to make you realise that that's a knockout. Because if, uh, if everything's a knockout. Because otherwise you can't judge. You've got no exactly. sense of judgment. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so you're, you're not for a perfect world then. No. You're not. No, I, you're like, not, I like to have all the shit there to see and then I can see then I can throw glitter on it and let it shine I like that yeah (laughs) but it is an interesting question I mean I think from an actor's point of view presumably that energy if you're bored and you go into performance presumably that's going to be visible quite immediately or if you're tired then you get in trouble exactly that's your job is to entertain so yeah they'd be like come on the the audience no but the worst thing ever is when you lose an audience if you're on stage and you know you can sense that must be very difficult it is very difficult yeah when you feel them, you losing them, or you can see people shuffling, or you hear a noise or a cough, it's it's disheartening. But when you are doing a scene and a monologue, and that you can hear a pin drop, mm. there's nothing better in the world. You're commanding a room of like a thousand people with your voice and your presence. That's amazing. One of the worst experiences I've ever had on stage ever was I was doing a play on Broadway, and I couldn't sleep, and I got given a sleeping tablet, and it's before a matinee, and I didn't sleep on the sleeping tablet. And then I got on stage, and I was completely like on another plane and then I remember I had this line and I twisted the line and then I had a complete meltdown in my head but I remember thinking just open your mouth and I opened my mouth and the words just came out but all the other actors are looking at me very strange on stage and I went off and afterwards they were like you just went somewhere then where the hell did you go I was like I have no idea but I opened my mouth and the words come out but I'm just in this sleeping tablet and that whole show is like I was in the trance but having to go out there and soon as you walk out there was no furniture no set I was barefoot on, and soon you walk out, all eyes are on you. And it was horrific, horrific. Then I slept in between shows, and then the Eden show was one of the best I ever did. So it was like I was come back, terrified come back, to go come back. back yeah, but you, you do have muscle memory, and you do have that ability, that kind of like um, gas, extra gas cylinder that's there just to power you through on them moments. Right. Has, you know, being openly gay, has that been something that's been complicated? I mean, given you're so much on the front line. Not now. It's been a blessing. It's been one of the best things that's ever happened. I've always been open in my career because I started as a kid and I think I then went through it and knew who I was and it was never a shock. I think when I finally decided to really claim gay roles when they came in, 
it it changed everything. It opened it up. Because I read something beautiful. You t- talked about this role you played, Ray, right, as a, a superhero. Yeah, yeah, it was a gay superhero. It was kind of quite scary that in 2017 when I made it, it was groundbreaking. You're like, oh, this is amazing. We're in 2017 and an, an out gay actor playing a gay superhero on network TV is like a huge deal. Yeah. You know, and that's done now. So the next one I come along and it'll be... It'd be calmer. Do you know what I mean? And then, and then it start normalizing, which is where it should be. Yeah. But for me to be that, to be that reference point, to be pivotal to that, is is the biggest honor ever. I was hoping we could maybe go back in time a little bit, maybe a little bit about your early childhood, early childhood experiences with or without art. I remember at the age of fifteen, my mother thought she thought she'd take me to the Prado, and that was my first sort of rush with art. And the Prado, the trip, it was 1948, I think. So it was very bleak. Spain was very bleak because of the war. And on the way back, we went to the Louvre. Now, they were both very boring from my point of view. Both of the trips, I found, these are my first meetings with big art. And what was boring about them? Just you didn't, they didn't connect with? Oh, they were just big Bible paintings. They don't grip you, I don't think. And that's how I saw them. So I had no way of getting into this. So the art... Having gone to the project and, and seen these guys, it didn't really affect me until later on. You thought of yourself as an artist relatively early on? Probably. Well, I don't like performance. I don't like memory. I don't like maths. I don't like... So it, it suited me. It absolutely suited me. And I like doing. And I like colours. I've always liked pictures. I think working by myself and without performing and without other people... I've always found attractive. I think that the dependence of just on myself, I think that's the responsibility that we've got. And I like that. I mean, certainly your memories of certain aspects of childhood, right, Rose? I mean, they, they sort of come up again and again in the paintings. I think the war had pro- I probably had something to do with it because it was a kind of exciting moment, you know, from the point of view of, you know, bombs coming down and air raids and stuff. So that's, from a child's point of view, that was quite special, quite unusual. So you found that exciting rather than traumatic? Oh, well, I wasn't really frightened because it was going on all the time. I thought what you had, that was what was. And it wasn't something that it might be more frightening for you suddenly if you had it. But if you're into it and it's going on all the time, it wasn't so much frightening. Did you know you were going to be an actor quite yeah, early? Yeah, I mean, in- from like 10, 11. My early influences like Home Alone, and The Goonies, Dead Poet Society, yeah. Stand By Me, these sort of seminal children's movies of like the 80s, early 90s that really affected me and made me want to go into that. I des- mm. desperately wanted to be American. I desperately wanted to be a runaway and experience that and look for one-eyed Willie and find gold. And I got like a, went to a drama club and got an agent, kid's agent, and then kept going. And then I, through, through theatre, my life, kind of my career, went in the path it's gone. Do you think those films affected the type of art that you were then drawn to, the sort of type of visual art yeah, that you were drawn to? Yeah, I definitely to? liked pop art bright colours. I loved Patrick Caulfield. I loved Keith Haring. I loved Andy Warhol. I love Keith Haring. I think he's a very good yeah. bloke. And I, I, I think I love the naive. I love the But why do you quick... like Warhol then? Because he's different a bit, isn't because he? Because the, the, the colours, I guess, and the images were very popular culture and the way he reproduced those. I think him as a, as a person itself, I remember feeling fascinated by seeing that video of him eating a cheeseburger that lasts like 10 minutes. And he's like, I'm Andy Warhol and I just ate a cheeseburger in New York. And I remember just being like, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> this is so mundane, impact. but it's so exciting. Oh, wow. He looked good. Yeah. 
like what? And it, well, there's no one like that. They, and you know, Basquiat. You like Basquiat? Yeah, he did. I mean, more so when I was younger. I love his work, but you, I've seen a lot. It seems to be everywhere. Yeah, but now when you see a Basquiat and a Warhol picture, you know when they did a combination. The collaborations job, are the best. Did you, yes, but did you which did you tend to prefer one or the other or not? You just like the collaboration. I love the collaboration. I love there's like a General Electric logo that Andy Warhol did, and then Basquiat works over the top of that. I think it's in like Versace collection or something. Yeah. Phenomenal. Just the energy in that of them two combining, and the freshness and how much that was. You just never saw anything like that at the time. What they did, that, that they became such a reference point and they worked together, that's just incredibly historical. Yeah. Would you ever collaborate, Rose? Um, I haven't tried it. I haven't ever thought of it. I'm, it's a bit of a drab idea, I think. You know, you do something good and then the, the other person takes a bit, does a bit off. <laughs> exactly. And then, then you come back right. on there and then they hate you because you, uh, you know, it's full of, I'd say it was full of difficulty from start okay. to finish. Right, right, Best right. avoid it. Take us through the physicality, a little bit of the physicality of some of the paintings. I mean, they're, they're big. You've talked about that people don't expect women to make paintings this big. I mean, something that I'm sure has been, you've pushed back against. But what is the actual physical process like? And I like walking around the painting. I like to be able to walk along with a line. And I don't think it's more tiring because it's, you just have a big, bigger brush, you know. It's more physical. But it's less, it's less up your ass than sort of fiddling, you know, than... I'm um, fiddling around with little bits of paper. and um, You do fiddle around with little bits of paper I do, as well. <laughs> I do want either big paintings or quite small drawings. And I like adding things too. I think we, it is organic, it's growth. Then at the same time, as I think you can grow too much, so growth is an idea. Or Rome, I, you know, things get too big. And so having said that I like paintings to go on and extend and extend, I actually also think that there comes a point when you you know, you don't extend anymore. I do like big paintings. I like mountains and lakes. I like that kind of stuff. The sea, I like. Yeah, dramatic. I think, yeah, a bit of I like drama. Right. The theatre, drama. You love like, drama. Yeah, your, all like your drama. work is drama. I mean, people say to me, "I haven't got a big house. I can't get your paintings into my house. Why don't you make smaller paintings?" So, my house isn't big, but I can get double sets of double paintings in it very, very easily. No, you just got to clear out the other furniture, clear a bit out. Good light. Minimise, and then <laughs> good lighting. One chair and a big painting by you. Yeah. <laughs> Sell the rest of the art. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need anything else. Even in a small room where I've seen your work, it isn't claustrophobic. Even though it's big and no, it's, it's not. Is it busy? But it's not claustrophobic. You can't. No. You don't feel like it's sitting on your shoulder. There's space in the paintings too, yes. right? Yes, because a lot of canvas, and exactly. also that allows you to bank canvases up and put them together, so the painting isn't a little prescribed rectangle yes. with an edge, you can add. Yeah. So at any point you can put two or four and six together. The ceiling would be nice too, to use the ceiling. Yeah, and then you kind of have to bend your head back. Italians have done it. I mean, there's no, I mean, it's, no, it's not new, but it's not often done. Sure. I don't think it's Sit done the all Vatican the time. It's been in the Vatican for uh, hundreds of <laughs> it's been years. Hanging yeah. around. It's been <laughs> hanging around, yeah. Yeah, it's quite... You would like the panelling to go up. It wouldn't be sort of like free... Wouldn't just be on the ceiling; it would be almost leading up to the ceiling. It would well; it would be stapled on or whatever. You know, I would do it in the normal way in units, and then it would just spread around in all directions. In all directions, love it everywhere. I think it's great. <laughs> you know, one thing that comes up, or I'm curious about, and I've read you talk about it a little bit, Rose, is how you experienced being a, a woman artist. 
I think you said it, I've heard of you talking about your art school experience and people basically said, don't even bother. You know, you're going to have a family, you're going to have children, you're not going to, there, there's no reason to pursue this in the first place. It's just precisely what I did. <laughs> but then you pursued it. Well, the break came about because of marriage and children. And people always say, did you find that? Um, are you angry about that? And the answer is no, because the children are good. Okay, great. Knockout. But maybe you come back to it again with a bit of bit more excitement, perhaps, than if you'd kept going all that time. But then your age is out of step. So people expect you to be, you know, 24 when you start painting, you know, when you get known. But in fact, that's completely gone. You can't retrieve that. But you've got a lot of experience in between. We're now in a moment when there's real championing of female artists. Mm -hmm. And how are you experiencing that? I'm outside gender, I think. You know, I just don't care. I don't think it's about male or female. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what box you're in. It just If it's getting visualization because it's female, that's not a good thing. Or if it's getting visualization because it's male, the problem is there's been huge male domination. So you've needed, it's essential and has been and is essential you know, to push the women. It's got to be Cutting about... Cutting edge if it's a female that's made it. Do you know what I mean? And that's but it's got to slightly... be about the work. There's a, uh, someone did a clip which said that I don't do girly paintings and they put a big picture of Lolita up and I think that's because, of course, it is very girly. Or is it? It's not necessarily girly. If know. it was painted by a man, it would be quite pervy. <laughs> it could be perceived as, you know, yeah. if the show was called Lolita and there was this yeah. young girl washing the car yeah. at the neighbour's house yeah. and it was a man painting that, it, it could be completely construed as, but as it's a female, I guess it becomes... And it also it was an affectionate nickname. It becomes maternal. It was simply descriptive. Here we have Nabokov and we know the story because the story was everywhere at the time. You know, right. It was the time mm -hmm. when it was a buzzword. And it's been played out, and you know, there's this girl sort of swanning about, and, and it was just came about, I think. I mean, the way you've described it, the inspiration was the neighbor and the memory of the neighbor, not so much the Nabokov novel. No, it novel. wasn't, but I think the name came up. It was a very kind of chance set of comings together. She lived opposite, we called her Lolita, that wasn't her name. And Did she know you called her Lolita? No. 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 <laughs> yeah, but I went to that Picasso thing, you know, there's the big show at the, at the uh, Tate Modern. And there was one picture of Mary Therese Walter. You don't know whether you saw it. She's got a completely round face. And I was very excited because I thought it's like the Lolita with the round face, the one I'd stuck on. Yes. But I'd never seen that Picasso before. Now, I thought it was a very exciting Picasso. And the ones which perhaps slightly less exciting are the ones we see in books all the time, which led me to this, uh, you know, we've all had this idea of the area of thinking that, Maybe the ones that the artists like best aren't necessarily the ones that the audience likes mm. best. And what does that mean to us? But what makes something a favorite for for, the, for you as the artist? I guess the character, I guess mm -hmm. for me, is what it is. If I had the opportunity to inhabit a certain character with certain other characters, mm -hmm. then it becomes very, very important and you take it in. Then that's, that stays with you, definitely. I did a TV show called Look In on HBO, which okay. about a group of friends in San Francisco, and I played a character called Kevin. And a lot of it, we, the, the script was there, but it was very loose and mm. we could improvise. And as the show was going on, the kind of stories developed. They didn't know what it was. This is going along. This writing is going along. And then this character became something really important and became very special to me and became like a water cooler conversation wow. character. And that was great. And I'd be able to remove myself from playing him and being in the moment to go, yeah, I know, like have a conversation about life through wow. this performance, through this guy. 
And it's the only thing I've ever done where I can subjectively watch myself and not not watch myself. You know, I can watch the show and enjoy the show and know if I wasn't in it, I would like it anyway. So totally present and then also somehow removed and able to judge and assess. Yeah. 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 But what about walking into a show of your own work, Rose? Well, what I really like from is on my wall in my studio. That's my favorite relationship with them. It must be to do with the doing of it, and then it becomes somebody else's. You want you want it out there, but I also like it when it isn't out there, when it's in my studio, and when nobody said anything about it. Yeah. In fact, there can be a time when nobody says a thing about it. Because actually, that's pure. Yeah. It's quite. Yeah. It's absolutely the right and word. And it's yours. Rose and Russell, thank you so much for being here today. It's been really nice to have you both. Bye. Bye. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. You can find out more about the artists in this series by going to davidswerner.com slash dialogues. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review Dialogues on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps other people discover the show. I'm Lucas Werner, and thanks so much for listening. I hope you'll join us next time. This podcast is a partnership between David Zwerner and Slate Studios.